Amen. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Revelation. We're going to be in the, um, this is the very end of, of Scripture. Um, and we're in a three-week study. This is the last week in our study of the ordinances. First week, we, we spoke a little bit. We, we talked about the foundations for, for, for why we practice together the ordinances. We talked about the foundations for those things. And really, we said that there were three things that were happening um, that Paul outlines for us, even in, um, in 2 Corinthians 5. We're talking about the fact that he calls his people to... If you don't have a Bible, Sheila's got some in her hand, um, and she's passing those out. If you need one, go ahead and throw one up in Okay, good. Cool. All right. So um, we talked about three specific things coming out of 2 Corinthians 5 that Paul was admonishing the Corinthians to participate in. One was simply to remember. He was saying, remember what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And then he said, proclaim. There is a verbal proclamation that is required as one who is an ambassador, as one who finds his or her identity in Jesus he says, you are Christ's ambassadors. Again, you are not like ambassadors, but you are Christ's ambassadors. This is your identity in Jesus Christ. And then he calls the Corinthians to uh, anticipate. Anticipate what God has promised you and what he uh, has said that he has done. And then how all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And then last week, we laid that foundation of that remembering, the proclaiming, the anticipating. And then we, last week, we talked specifically about baptism and practicing baptism together and what that looks like. Um, and the death to sin itself that's pictured as we go under the water, um, as we are buried beneath the water, that we, as we come up to uh, walk in newness of life, just like Jesus was killed as he, he was buried and as he was raised, um, and then he walked and then ascended into heaven and rules and reigns at the Father's right hand. And then the life that we have in God, this, this walking in the newness of life and a promised eternity spent with right standing in him because of Jesus' sacrifice, this is all pictured in baptism. And so we, we talked a little bit about that last week. And then, uh, so we affirm that a few things specifically about baptism because of that death, burial, and resurrection language, we, we, we said that we affirm together, we affirm together that, that, uh, that baptism is for believers, first and foremost, that it is by immersion, because we are picturing what it looks like to be, uh, to die and to be buried, and then to be raised again as we come up out of the water, and then that it's not required for salvation, it is not salvific in any sort of way, um, but lastly, that it is required for obedience. It, God has given us the command to be baptized. In, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus ascends into heaven, he says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, so what does he say? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says something that we kind of sometimes gloss over, teaching them to obey, teaching them to observe, teaching them to adhere to all that I have commanded you. Um, and then he says, I am with you till even the end of the age. Um, so that's what we talked about. So we can see very clearly that in baptism, we can see those elements of remembering what God has done for us in Jesus and that act that's playing that out. We can see the proclamation <coughs> element as we are proclaiming, as we participate together in baptism. We are proclaiming what God has done in our lives and then anticipating that resurrection as we come up out of the water. We see those elements clearly pictured in baptism. So, so this morning then, we want to discuss the second ordinance, and that is the Lord's Supper. 
So if you're there in Revelation 19, I just want you to take a look at verses 6 through 9 with me this morning. And I'll read this for us, and then we'll pray, and we'll talk about our big idea for the morning, and then we'll just cover a few things that are contained within our practice of the Lord's Supper. So we're in Revelation 19, this is verse 6, and we will read through verse 9. Then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty, uh, mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Lord God, we thank you for this picture um, that John records for us in the book of Revelation. God, we thank you um, that we can anticipate this marriage supper of the Lamb, that for those who are in Christ, we are invited to participate together in this. And our invitation is secure because it's not contingent on who we are, but because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So as we come to this text this morning, as we consider the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be oriented towards you, that our minds would be clear from distractions, and that we would learn to love you and exalt you um, even more this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so as we look at this text then this morning, I want to give you a big idea, just a big idea, the big thought for this morning, um, and we do this every week. Uh, the Lord's Supper is designed to point us back to the work of Jesus, which secured our invitation to what we see here in Revelation 19, secured our invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, the Lord's Supper is designed to point us back to what God has done in Jesus, which has secured our invitation to the anticipated marriage supper of the Lamb. And so when Jesus says, we see this in Luke, and Luke records for us um, that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, at, uh, during the Passover, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He was calling his disciples to something more than just like a thought exercise. He was calling them to um, something very active, something that they would do regularly and on a regular basis. And sometimes I think we take the Lord's Supper and we turn it just into that thought exercise, but it is far far more. It is actually directing us throughout the course of our week, throughout the course of our months, throughout the course of our years um, to remember, proclaim, and anticipate what God has done and is going to do. Um, and so when we think about this, we think about a, one historical event, particularly where Jesus was instituting this in the upper room during the Passover, but we also know that that was rooted in something very historic for the Israelites, and then moving forward, something that God is promising is what we're seeing here in Revelation 19. So just three things that I want to talk about. First, um, is just remembering Christ's sacrifice and what he's accomplished for us. Well, that's, the, that's the first level, right? That's the first tier. That's that thought exercise part, remembering, recalling, bringing to mind what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So we'll talk about that first. And then secondly, remembering the ongoing implications of Christ's sacrifice in our life. This is more active. This is more day-to-day. -day. This requires a little bit more, um, a more effort on our part. 
Understanding how Christ's sacrifice plays in and does and, and actually affects what I do in my day-to-day -day life. And then third and finally, remembering the secured invitation like we see here in Revelation 19, the secured invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we tend to approach as we, as this is the, the, the whole thrust of this morning is a moving to the table. Well, we tend to sometimes, um, we tend to approach the Lord's Supper in sort of a reductionistic manner. We sort of come to this table and say, okay, this is one thing that we do on one day. Instead of, instead of setting the tone for, for, for our lives. Instead of setting the tone for a much broader exercise that we are engaging in in every single moment of every single day. So these three things then, remembering Christ's sacrifice and what it's accomplished for us, remembering the ongoing implications of what uh, Christ sacrificed uh, for our daily lives, and then remembering the future-oriented, um, anticipating the marriage supper of the land, those three things work in concert together um, every time we participate together in this ordinance. Okay. So let's take each of these in turn, let's just talk about them, um, and, and think through uh, what these mean for us. Okay, so firstly, just remembering Christ's sacrifice and what it accomplishes. We talk about this a lot. This is really important because we know that everything in our lives is contingent on, on, on the good news of the gospel. We recognize, we run everything in our lives through that filter, right? There is nothing that we do in our daily lives that doesn't, is not affected by what God has done for us in Jesus. So this is, this is relatively low line. So when Luke records in Luke 22, when he records um, Jesus instituting this ordinance, he says that Jesus calls his disciples to eat the bread and drink the wine in remembrance of him. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so he's giving a command. That's a, it's an imperative. He's, he's giving us a command. He's saying, do this in remembrance of me. And he said that specifically to his disciples, but remember what Jesus says in Matthew 28 when he said, uh, teaching them to uh, obey, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, and so he was instituting this in the moment for the church. And Paul picks up this same language in 1 Corinthians 11. As he's instructing the Corinthians about uh, the Lord's Supper, he picks up this same language. It says, and he, he actually quotes Jesus directly saying, do this in remembrance of me. So the question is, what are we remembering? What are we remembering when it comes to Christ's sacrifice? What are we remembering when we come to the Lord's table? One, we're, we're remembering that when we, when we take the bread, we're remembering a broken body, right? A broken body on our behalf. When we take the drink, the juice, in our case, we are drinking, we're remembering Christ's shed blood. And those two things are, have some severe implications for our daily lives. Jesus lived a life that was in perfect obedience to God's requirement, right? So we say, as people, as those who have rebelled against God, we don't live every moment in obedience. In fact, most of our moments are lived in active rebellion because we're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with who we are. Um, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to what God had commanded, to, to God's requirements, to his law. And yet his body was subjected to this intense brokenness. The wrath of God poured out on him because of the disobedience of many. Because of our disobedience, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus um, as our substitute. So his body, just this intense breaking under the weight of the wrath of God. So that's step one. This is what we're remembering when we take the bread. 
And then the shed blood, we're thinking about, we're recalling um, what the author of Hebrews says when he says, unless blood is shed, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no remission of sins. Sins cannot be taken away from us unless blood is shed. This is how God set up, this is what happens in God's economy. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. And Jesus' blood was shed in order to wash away um, the sin of the world. His blood was shed so that we can be wiped clean. So, this is what we're remembering, right? But then, uh, what we want to talk about is, is what we receive as a benefit. Like, and not in a way that we remember we talked about in the first week. We talked about the fact that an ordinance is not, is not conveying grace to us because of the act, Right? The act isn't doing it, but the intention of the heart and the recognition and the understanding of what God is doing or has done. Um, and so we receive, in the act of Christ's sacrifice, we receive the righteousness of Christ. We, we literally receive the righteousness of Christ. If we are in Christ and we have trusted Christ's sacrifice, we receive the righteousness of Christ because of that body that was intensely broken um, it was totally without sin, was totally without, uh, without, was totally sinless, and was without blemish. And this is this this corresponds with the bread. And then when we drank the wine or the cup, the juice this morning. It's the removal of sin. We're reminded that Christ's sacrifice removed sin from us. As far as the east is from the west, our sin has been removed from us because the blood of Jesus washes us clean from sin. So, just to think about these two things, because we, we just we want to marinate in this truth a little bit this morning. We want to think on this truth of what God has accomplished for us in Christ's sacrifice. So, in, in Exodus 12, in Exodus 12, uh, when God was giving instructions for the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, after the, Egypt, or after the, the Israelites have been delivered out of Egypt, after they've come out of Egypt, he, was, he gave this as a, uh, or before, I'm sorry, before they had been delivered out of Egypt, he gave this, this picture of what it, what it looked like to, to sacrifice a lamb. And he says the lamb must be unblemished. And so Peter picks up that notion in, 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 in the New Testament. And he writes that um, we are redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. And so we're thinking about that as we come to the table. We think about the fact that Jesus' blood washes us clean of our sin. It removes our sin from us. And Jesus was that unblemished lamb. Um, it was an imperfect portrait, right? It was an imperfect picture, the Passover lamb. It was an imperfect picture of what God was bringing to, or making, causing to happen in Jesus Christ the, as, uh, as redemptive history moved forward. Um, and again, remember the author of Hebrews, just to, just to think about this some more. The author of Hebrews writes in, in, in chapter 4, verse 15 of his epistle, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things but without sin. Yet without sin, he was the perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb. Okay. So, so we see then that shed blood, the removal of sin. That's what we're thinking about when we get to the table. We're removed, the, the, our sin has been removed from us. Uh, but, then, but then secondly, the broken body, the, 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 uh, the broken body um, and the bread, as we come to that, 
And we think a little bit about then um, what it means to be made righteous. So there are two steps here, right? Shed blood, removal of sin, broken body, uh, and righteousness is, is given to us, is granted to us. The righteousness of Christ is, is granted to us. And so I'm going to use a word here that, that might be unfamiliar to some of you, and I'm going to help, I'm going to try and define it as best as I can. Um, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. And so that, that kind of means, what that kind of means, I'm going, to, I'm going to try and give you the best possible definition here. What it kind of means is that it's given or, or that it's transferred, but even more than that, even more than that, and this is the beauty of the gospel right here, even more than just given or transferred, it is attributed to you. So despite the fact that you are incapable of generating or cultivating any kind of righteousness in your life, because of the work of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is attributed to you. So let me, let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Okay, so, so you walk out of here this morning. You walk out of here this morning and someone is like, hey, I'm going to give you a car. Blaze, I'm going to give you a car this morning. What would you say? Thanks. <laughs> that was, that was, you were really excited about that. Okay. So, um, he walks out as you, and, and Blaze, I'm going to give you a car. He says, thanks. And then, and then, and then what happens, he's, he's like, he walks up to Blaze and he says, I'm going to, I'm on the street, he says, I'm going to give you this brand new car. It's a 2017 model. It's, it is beautiful, like zero, like 0.1 miles on it. Here you go. It's yours. So, okay, that's awesome. So the, 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 they deliver the car to you then. It like shows up, rolls it off the trailer, delivers it to you. Gives you the title, right? Signs the title over to you and gives it to you, right? So um, so this is kind of like what we're talking about, but not really. This is kind of like someone gave you that, and then they transferred you the title. And so it belongs to you, right? That car is, is yours. This is sort of like imputed righteousness, but not quite, okay? And here's how it would be more like the, how the, the, uh, the, the metaphor would get up on all fours and, 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 and we could, you know what I'm saying. So um, they said to you, here, here, Blaze, not only do you get this vehicle, not only do you have the title transferred to your name, but everyone knows now that you, um, that you designed the vehicle from top to bottom, you drew up all the plans, you designed the vehicle, Right? And then you went and extracted all the elements out of the earth and you smelted the metal and you built this car in your backyard and you sewed the leather seats together, all of these things. Um, and, and you manufactured the entire car for yourself. This is, this is what it means to have righteousness imputed to us. It is now attributed to us. Despite the fact that we didn't work for it, it is attributed to us, the righteousness of Christ. And that is how we stand justified before God. We stand justified before God because when he looks at us, he sees the fact that our sin has been removed from us because of the shed blood of Jesus and that we have the righteousness of Christ. And so when he looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness and not our own works. And it's attributed to us. He says, you are righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I have done in God. So we're washed clean of our sin through the shed blood of Jesus, and then the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And again, that sounds like a weird word. I would, I would encourage you to like integrate that into your vocabulary when you're thinking about this, because, because it really does help us have a better understanding. 
I, th I think what we need to do as people is begin to think about the high things of God and what He has done for us in Jesus Christ in the ways that the Bible talks about them. I think for so long we've come to Scripture and we've thought to ourselves, man, look at, look at this. I don't really quite understand what this is saying. We should go on and live our day-to-day -day lives. But God has made this, God has given us the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead exists and dwells within us in order that we might have a greater understanding of what he's written to us in his direct revelation to us, his word, God's word. Okay. So um, we're in, as we, we just talked about, okay, so we're marinating in that truth that, that Christ sacrificed for us. And what does that look like as we approach the table? It means a shed blood, broken body, um, a, a sin washed away, and uh, righteousness imputed to us. But then the next step is this, and this is, this is where it becomes more active. This is where it becomes more active. We are now remembering um, the implications of Christ's sacrifice for our day-to-day -day life. So it's good and well to understand what God has done for us in Jesus. But then he directs us and he commands us to carry out all the things that he requires. Um, and we can only do that through the power of the gospel and understanding what Christ's sacrifice means for us in our daily life. So when we come to the table, we don't want to just look back, but we want to look and consider right now also. Um, so we remember Christ's sacrifice. We do so as those who have an understanding the gospel is affecting affecting every single moment of every single day. Um, so Rebecca and I celebrated our 8th anniversary like 10, 10, 12 days ago? 12 days ago. Um, and so it was just tomorrow's the first, so I had to do some math. Um, actually, no, I didn't. But the... Uh, um, but so we celebrated our 8th anniversary. So, so if you're married, you, you understand, like, having an anniversary is, is something that's big. It's something that's important. Um, and it's something that you don't just, when you come to that anniversary, what you don't just do is, is remember verbally, right? You don't just say, hey, it's our anniversary. Great, awesome. And then you move on. Like, you commemorate the day. You commemorate the vows that you exchanged. You commemorate um, what that day meant for you um, by discussing it. By, by going out to dinner, by having a date, by, um, by writing a poem for, for, your, for your spouse. <laughs> Not a poem? No poems? Okay. All right. All right. So, okay, well, I won't admit then that I wrote a poem. <laughs> so, um, or, or flowers or something like that. Like, you, um, you, you commemorate that day with something special to remember what happened. But it would have, has been accomplished, which you vowed to one another in that moment. You recall those vows, and you, and then, and then you take those also, and you think about so what did I commit to with this individual, and then think about like something like how have we changed? And Rebecca and I had this conversation like how have we changed in the eight years that we've been married? We've been married for eight years. And we're not the same people. I hope I'm not the same person when we got married. Sometimes I wonder, but like, but we're not the same people. We're not the same people as the day that we got married. So we think about the fact that okay, so we've moved several times within the course of our marriage. We've we've uh, we've had three children now. Like our lives look totally different from going to college and working at Target and whatever it was that we were doing when we got married. Life just looks. Very, very different. And so we consider the implications then of our vows on our current situation. And that's what that, that's what we see here then. That's what we're remembering the ongoing implications of Christ's sacrifice for our daily lives. We're thinking about 
What now, today, am I going to encounter, and how is Jesus' sacrifice important in my response to the way that I approach this? And the same is true as we come to the Lord's table. We were commemorating Christ's sacrifice and, and considering what it means for us now in our next few minutes, the next few hours, the next few months, the next few, uh, the next few years. What does this look like for us in our day-to-day -day life? And, then, and so, and so um, I guess my question then this morning is, is what is a remembrance of what God has accomplished for us? What, is, what does a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice in our daily life mean for you to find yourself this week? Or just consider that together with me. Consider what it might mean for us this week. I mean, is it simply remembering that your identity is found in Jesus? And, and as you are in Jesus, like you, you are an ambassador, like we talked about a few weeks ago. You are an ambassador, and you have a co-worker who's going through a difficult time in his or her life. And you need to, you need to uh, make a verbal appeal. You need to make a verbal appeal to that individual, to that co-worker who doesn't know Jesus. I understand that your life is difficult right now. Things are not going well for you. Um, but, but Jesus loves you. Um, God sent his son to die for you. You are finding your identity in what happens in this situation. Um, but God calls us to find our identity in him first. Or maybe it's remembering that you're more precious to God than even the smallest of creatures because you're thinking to yourself, where's my food? Where's my next meal going to come from? Where's my food? Where's my day-to-day, -day, the, the necessities of life going to come from? Maybe it's just recalling the truth that God, His, His, uh, His promise to you is that even, even considering the smallest of creatures that He is going to provide for you because He, he loves you. Or maybe it's remembering that the suffering that you're enduring in your journey, whatever that might look like, the suffering that you're enduring in your daily life is producing Christ-likeness in you. And it's not a question. It is producing Christ-likeness in you. God uses suffering. God uses our suffering to make us more like Jesus Christ. He uses that every single day. No suffering is wasted in our lives. We see that in the life of Paul. We see that in the life of almost every New Testament figure, including Jesus himself. Because you're remembering that your marriage is the perfect place to practice selflessness, modeled by Jesus Christ. Because you're pursuing your spouse's, not only your spouse's just good or, or okay, but pursuing your spouse's complete and utter flourishing over your own interests. Maybe that's what that looks like. Um, Maybe it's remembering that God has welcomed you into his family through Jesus Christ, that you've been adopted into that family, that you've been grafted into that. Maybe it's remembering that and then intentionally spending time with your kids to communicate that truth to them this week. Maybe it's remembering that Jesus' work is the final work and that your daily work, all of those hours that you're putting in in your job, all of those things are not achieving salvation for you. All of, all of those things are in concert, are subsequent to Christ's work and not achieving salvation for you. Maybe it's remembering that in Christ all things necessary for life and godliness are granted to you. And though you feel like the sanctification process, though you feel like being made more like Christ is really, really slow because you've got kids screaming around, running around with dirty diapers and going nuts in your home because your coworkers don't, don't, don't respect you because of all of those things, because you think to yourself, man, I just respond in the worst way to everything that is thrown my way in this world. Maybe it's remembering that in Christ, all things necessary for life and godliness has been granted to you. 
Maybe it's recognizing and realizing and remembering the fact that God has given you, freely given you all things. And that building bigger barns to store material in is not achieving anything for yourself. All of those things are going away. So maybe it's just remembering these implications of the gospel on your daily life every single day. And thinking to yourself, I need to be remembering, as we come to the table this morning, I remember the ongoing implications of Christ's sacrifice in my daily life. What he's promised to us in scripture and how he is bringing it to completion. And then finally... This morning, so we talked about remembering Christ's sacrifice and then remembering um, what God has done for us in Jesus and the implications that has on our daily lives. And then finally, remembering the secured invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the secured invitation to spending eternity fellowshipping in communion, in direct communion with God. So this is future-oriented. This corresponds with the anticipation as we look forward to what God is accomplishing in our world. As so we come to the table, we do so, we do so with a, a degree of solemnity, right? We come and we're, we, think, we think to ourselves, okay, so, so what does this look like in my daily life? I understand that I am still inhabiting, I'm still living a life that is sinful. I'm not completely sinless, but Christ has achieved something for me. When we come to this, we see a, a glorious future where we will, we will be in the presence of God and where we will engage together with Him in the marriage supper of the land and we will have an incredible celebration. We will celebrate all that He has accomplished for us. And so when we come to the table, it's not just about being solemn. It's not just about reflection and thinking about me, me, me. What it is about thinking about God has accomplished it. He's promised this for us, and this will come to completion. We will participate together and eat incredible amounts of food. We will hang out. We will be in perfect communion with one another. We will love one another um, in an uninhibited manner because of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus. And so this brings us directly to the heart of Revelation 19 in the three verses or four verses that we read together. If you look at verse 9 specifically, he writes this to, or he, the, the, the angel says to John very specifically, he looks at him and he says this, and he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. He verifies it. He says, these are the true words of God. So the question is, who are the invitees? Who are the invitees? And if you go back up to verse 7 and 8, you see that it is the, the bride of Christ. And what is the bride of Christ adorned in? In verse 8, adorned in, clothed in, um, um, in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And we look at that and we think to ourselves, the broken body of Jesus Christ achieved this for us, the righteous acts of the saints, the imputed righteousness of Christ now attributed to you, attributed to you, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. God looks at his saints, God looks at those who are in Christ and says, I see the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. And so we eat the bread, we drink the cup, with the understanding that God has created a way for us to be invited to the marriage of the Lamb to celebrate an ongoing reality, something far more real, something far more human than we experience here in this life, 
Something that He has achieved for us in Jesus that we could not achieve for ourselves. Okay, so we think about these three things. We're thinking about primarily the idea is to, to, uh, to, to remember, to proclaim, and to anticipate, to think about the Lord's Supper, to think about Christ's sacrifice for us, to remember the implications of the gospel, to remember the implications of Christ's sacrifice for our everyday life, and then finally to remember the secured invitation and to celebrate openly together as a body to celebrate what God is going to do um, in the end because of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. So we're going to turn our attention then to the table now as we as we go that as we, as we move sort of that direction throughout the, the course of this morning. And so just three things for you to consider that, that really correspond to those three things that we talked about this morning. Just consider during this time, as we approach the table, just consider Christ's sacrifice afresh. What does that look like? What does that look like? Meditate on that broken body. A broken body that was in your place, that was substituted for you. Um, you deserved that wrath. Christ did not deserve that wrath, and yet he freely took it upon himself so that you could have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you. Um, meditate on the shed blood of Jesus, the, the blood that washes you clean. Your, your sin is removed from you. The righteousness of Christ attributed to you. So consider Christ's sacrifice afresh. And secondly, consider what Christ's sacrifice is accomplishing in your day-to-day -day this week. Think about it. This might not be an easy thing. It might not be a thought exercise that you're, that you're used to. But take some time to discipline yourself this week to think about the, the way that Christ's sacrifice is affecting every area of your life this week. Just to, the, the place to start is just to think about the gospel, just to meditate, just to preach to yourself the gospel through the course of the week. Just think to yourself, um, I was dead in my transgressions and sins, but God in Jesus made me alive. God in Jesus made me alive. Um, and then think about that identity, that new identity that you have in Jesus Christ as a son or a daughter of God, as an ambassador of Christ. That's your identity. That's what you share with each individual in this room who is in Jesus. That's what you share with each individual who is in this room who is also in Jesus. This identity is no longer enslaved to sin. No longer enslaved to sin. But it's set free. And it's free to bring God glory in every area, every aspect of your life. So consider then what Christ's sacrifice is accomplishing day to day. And then finally, anticipate Christ's return and the celebration that will result. That should bring us joy. That should bring us joy. God has accomplished this for us in Jesus. It is a surety. God has promised it to us. He is faithful to all His promises. God's Word tells us that time and time again that God is faithful to all of His promises. He will bring them to fruition. He will bring them to completion. He will bring them to perfection. And it looks like participating together in the marriage. That's why we come to the table this morning to look forward to what God is going to or has done and has accomplished for us in the future. Because of who He is and what He's done, all the promises of God are affirmative, are yes in Jesus Christ. And so we come to the table, we proclaim together, we say yes together truly. That is the case. Amen. We believe that. Together as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we acknowledge uh, Christ's sacrifice, its ongoing impact. 
and the, the future, the merits of the Lamb that it secures for us. So this morning then, as we prepare our hearts for the table, just consider all of those things that we just talked about. Just, that's a lot to consider. But think about those things. Think about the fact that Christ freely gave himself up for you. Think about the fact that that, that was not a one-time thing that occurred in your life, but these implications are ongoing for you. And think about the future. Think about what he has promised for you. It has given you, has granted you. This is not something that you will receive in the future. This is something that you have already received if you are Jesus Christ. The, the outworking of it is to come, but you have already received that invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this morning, what I'm going to do next is we're just going to watch a brief video, another one by J.R. Packer. He's just going to explain again some of these concepts to us. We're just going to think, just, just maybe just listen to him, just close your eyes and listen to what he has to say. And when he's when that video is done, Mark is just going to come up and, and, and play on the piano. We're going, to, we're going to think about it when you feel prepared in your heart. Come forward, the elements are here, the bread and the juice is up front. Grab the element, you can partake of it at the table, or you can take it back to your seat. And when you're prepared to do that, go ahead and participate in the elements together. If you're not in Jesus this morning, I would ask um, that you would just that you would just uh, refrain from participating. Um, this is something that we don't want to do. We don't want, the scripture is very clear that to take these elements in an unworthy manner is, is an incredibly, um, is, is, is something that, that we don't want to participate in together. So just, no one's looking at you, no one's judging you, no one, no one is thinking about, about where you're at. Um, so just, just sit and just, just think about the way that God has, has maybe impacted you this morning and the things that are going through your mind. And then after the service, if there's anything, any question that you have related to what we've talked about this morning, I'm available, Mark's available, we're available up here uh, to talk through some of these things. Also, just parents of, of kids, if you know where your child stands, um, go ahead and allow them to participate. Um, but if you're not quite sure, um, just, uh, just, just, uh, just exercise parental discretion in this time.